Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Who could live like that for the rest of their life? I mean, then you have to say, would I not be better just doing my time, for God's sake, you know, and getting yeah. out of jail at some stage than basically spending your time what will be a prison for the rest of your life, albeit one, an open prison, if you like. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It operates under different legislation in a country divided by a border which may be invisible to criminals, but which is very clear in different policing practices. But has the North had any more success with evidence given by those on the Witness Protection Programme than the Republic, where the latest signing, Jonathan Dowdall, is set to disappear into the sunset without achieving anything for the state? Today, I'm talking with the Belfast Telegraph's crime correspondent, Alison Morris, about the Ulster criminals who broke Omerta and agreed to testify against their own in the courtrooms of Belfast and beyond. From killer brothers Robert and Ian Stewart to Gary Haggerty, a former commander of the brutal Ulster Volunteer Force, we consider what the taxpayer has got for their money and who are the real winners of a programme struggling to survive in the modern era of facial recognition and social media. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. What's your overall opinion on witness protection? It is such a complex situation, isn't it? It's needed and yet it seems to be a place where criminals can get away with it. I suppose when yeah, when people think about witness protection, they think of like the mafia in America and they think about, you know, those big high profile gaudy cases and things like that and you know what happened after them. Um it's 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 much less glamorous than that, let's face it. There are cases where I have seen witness protection had used and had to be used because there wouldn't have been a prosecution otherwise. Um one of the cases that I had been thinking of when I was I was looking back at this was there was a case with Andre Shukri. Andre Shukri was one of the Shukri brothers. They were UDA brigadiers. Um, they had been friends with Johnny Adair and then fell out with Johnny Adair. But Andre Shukri was extorting the owner of a bar in North Belfast. 
And he was basically using the bar like his office. He was going in, going behind the bar, serving himself drink. Then he said that he wanted all the money from the machines and he wanted protection money. And every time he went back, he wanted more and more and more until these people literally had nothing left to give him. You know, they were going completely bankrupt. They ended up giving this woman and her husband give evidence against him um, and their lives where I don't know where they are now, but they are in witness protection and he went to jail. There was mm. no other way of putting him in jail without them. That was probably what most people would think witness protection is used for. But they were a couple who were able to go into the witness protection together. Yeah. yeah. But in the vast majority, and remember, the witness protection is the end of your life as you know it. You're not, you have to agree not to then contact relatives. You have to agree, you know, not to send birthday cards, not to send Christmas cards, not to do anything that can help you be traced back to where you are. It is and it. use that new identity and that new backstory that has been created for you. So you ha- are essentially going to live alive for the rest of your days. Yeah. And, and that is very difficult because it means mm. you can never really get close to anyone. Um, And this was a couple who were completely innocent. But the majority of cases that I've covered here do not involve innocent people at all. They involve what we call assisting offenders. So they are people who are involved in very serious criminality. In some cases, and I'll go through a few cases with you, murder, multiple murders. um, And they go into witness protection, a taxpayer funded life somewhere else where they don't have to atone for their crimes. They get a significantly significantly reduced sentence for, at some time, in some cases, hundreds of offences um, in order that they sit in the dock, they give evidence that they point at their fellow uh, associates within these paramilitary groups or crime gangs and they give evidence against them. And that is where I think that there is, it becomes morally and ethically more blurred. Is, the, is this the right thing to do to use? People does the means justify the ends because I don't think in some cases it does I really don't mm. interesting you mentioned the 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 US and the mafia trials and that because it actually was set up in the US for the first time witness protection in the 70s and that was to try and dismantle the mafia um, and Colombia Hong Kong Germany followed Germany because of their problem with the motorbike gangs at that point um, and obviously Italy came involved and they the first state witness in in Italy, a guy called Boschetta of the Sicilian Mafia. His evidence put away 350 mafiosos. Now that's getting value for your money to put uh, one guy say, into yeah. witness protection. That, that boy better better been hiding well after <laughs> after all that. But South Africa and the UK followed next, and um, presumably the Northern Ireland followed in exactly with the UK well, because well, we didn't come in that quickly in, in the South. We only came in when Veronica Guerin was murdered. But we had a, a, this goes way back, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, we had the Supergrass trials. So you had people who give evidence again to about dozens of people and put them behind bars. But those cases all collapsed on appeal. Almost everyone was released on appeal because mm. the witness testimony was so flaky. Um, Supergrass evidence was never reliable. And so when the last Supergrass trial collapsed, and we have both loyalists and um, Republican supergrasses who give evidence in the old Crumlin Road um, courthouse, which is now almost like a derelict building. And those cases collapsed. And so they, they had stopped using it in Northern Ireland for that purpose. So as I said, they maybe used it in the, like the um, Andre Shukri case, but they stopped using those sort of assistant offenders, supergrasses as we call them, supergrass trials, because they were just so unreliable. But then in 2005, there was new um, legislation introduced in the UK um, and that legislation was intended to be used uh, against people who were involved in very serious financial crime. Um, in the Serious Organised Crime and Police Act, it gave police all sorts of powers, but there was also a provision within that 
that allowed for assistant offenders. And that was when the prosecution, the police, I don't know who came up with the idea first, who thought, well, we could use this in Northern Ireland against paramilitaries. We could use this legislation that applies here and we could use that to bring back what we call the super grass trials, which means assistant offenders. People could be accepted as assistant offender. There was strict criteria in that it said you had to confess everything that you have done. Do you think any of them actually did? I don't think so. Um, and it meant these people disappeared for long periods of time to be debriefed. I know that some of them were being debriefed in police stations in England. Um, they were being transported through army bases in Northern Ireland, being taken by police helicopter to be debriefed. And then we had what we the beginning of the, the first Supergrass trial. But also, I just I suppose remember one of the people who lived his entire life until he died earlier this year in witness protection was Freddie Skeptici, the former known as Steak Knife, who was being investigated and linked to over 30 murders of people who were mainly IRA members themselves or petty criminals and thieves who were serving as, as who were recruited as informers. He was the head of the IRA's so-called Nutton Squad. He was in target those informers. He had an injunction that said that we couldn't, as the press, identify where he was living or take any recent pictures of him and publish them because no one could know where he was. He got that in the High Court by perjuring himself and telling lies and saying he wasn't an informer. And yet he was never charged with perjury despite one of his victims attempting to, to run that case. And he was found that the the night the, the old this is probably a podcast itself the news of the world mm. found him mm. using a private investigator and this is what we're saying that you're not allowed to phone home he had been ringing in, in contact with his wife and they were able to hack his wife's mobile phone and find out where he was um, and Freddie Skeptici whenever the hacking trials came out and all of those people the news of the world went under money was paid out he got compensation from the news of the world for hacking his phone this man had murdered you know and is, is thought to be directly involved in the murder of 18 people but over over 30 so he was living in the north of England he was living in Guildford um, they call it the sort of dockbroker belt, belt of Guildford he was living in a £600,000 detached house his neighbours had absolutely no idea who he was um, they thought he was just this sort of doting me tiny man, Freddie Skeptici is a very small person, he's of Italian descent, he has that kind of look about him, rather like sort of slightly mafia look about him um, and they had no idea who he was, he came They were living beside his, it yeah. like a mass murderer essentially Yeah, and he came and went, they said they'd have seen his Mercedes car pulling out of the driveway he then apparently joined a dog walking club and befriended a, a woman who was taking on dates but there was a, an article appeared in one of the English tabloids saying he he despite we know that he was probably one of the highest paid informers that ever um, was recruited in Northern Ireland, he was taking her to Pete's Express, like he'd have been looking, he'd have been looking at a Michelin star at least, <laughs> would you not? Um, he was tight as well as a killer. Um, so yeah, then he, he after the Operation Canova report was launched and his, his picture would appear in the media, he was moved, he was shifted out of there, moved somewhere else. We don't know where he was until his dying days. But that's Within the UK spent. though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, the UK He's is so vast. The UK. Isn't he it? never left the yeah. UK. And at the time when he disappeared, there was people saying, oh, because his, his family were from Italy, I think they were from Sicily. And like newspapers at this time, this was at the time when newspapers had huge budgets and were able to send people off on, you know, uh, fishing exhibitions. It was newspaper journalists all hanging around these villages in Italy trying to find Freddie's Capitation. He never bloody left England. Like, he never went anywhere near it. Like, I don't think he could speak a word were, of Italian. The you expenses know. would have been all about wine and pasta, <laughs> I can imagine. And of yeah. course, it'd have been signed off. He, he couldn't speak a word of Italian. Like, it's just because his, his father had been an Italian migrant. But yeah, so he lived in, in witness protection. He died earlier this year. Yeah. He still was still under investigation by Canova at the time. 
but obviously he's never going to be prosecuted. I never thought he would be prosecuted. You talked anyway. about that serious organised crime and police act. Um, the thing about that was in the UK and here, it's placed on statutory footing and that's why they have to give up supposedly everything they've ever done. Ours remains operational in a very haphazard way. So nobody has to say anything about any crime they ever committed. They can continue to deny it. There's no rules around it. There's no legislation wrapped around it. That was criticised by Justice McCracken after the Gilligan trials because the evidence essentially of those supergrasses wasn't accepted. And it was seen as a, there wasn't enough corroborating evidence, which yeah. is hugely important. Same thing happened in the Regency Hotel yeah. with Jonathan Dowdall's evidence. But in Ireland, for some reason, we have continued to run it on this haphazard basis. So at least there is something wrapped around it here, yeah. something, well, some legal at footing. Well, stick after Dowdall, there will be a push to try and tighten that legislation up. But I mean, here it doesn't work anyway, because... So one of the, the cases, whenever the, the, <clears throat> the legislation first came out, one of the sort of test cases, if you like, was a case involving two brothers, Robert and Liam Stewart. They were members of the sort of infamous Mount Vernon UVF, the Mount Vernon UVF, which had been subject to the police ombudsman report Operation Ballast. They were responsible for dozens of murders, even though the entire unit of the UVF was absolutely riddled with police informers, special branch informers. Um, and they attempted to use that legislation he turned the two two brothers agreed to become assistant offenders. They claimed to have handed over everything that they'd ever did. And but they had murdered a guy called Tommy English in 2000, is that right? There was a lot of people who was involved in the murder of Tommy English. Tommy English was a UDA commander. He was living in Mount Vernon and there was a feud going on between the UVF and the UVA. So the UVF murder Tommy English it is bizarre because when they give evidence among the people who stood trial for Tommy English was someone who lived two doors down from Tommy English's widow and would have said hello to her every day when he was passing her and he then became charged with um, with his murder. It was a huge trial. I sat through almost every day of it. It was unusual in that it was Judge Gillen was the trial judge in that case. We don't do the Gillen review after the rugby rape trial. He'd be very well known for that. And it was the first time he gave the press permission to live tweet during the trial. Up until then, you weren't even allowed to take your phone out in the court mm. or the, you know, the clerks that have put you out. Um, so it was notable in that stage. It was notable by the amount of defendants in the case and also by the amount of then defence counsel. Every single one of them had a senior counsel and every single one of them had a junior counsel. Can you imagine the cost of this to the public purse? That would have all been legally funded. I think at the end, it cost something like 11 and a half million, this trial. So the Stewart brothers start giving evidence. And day one, I am sitting there, I think as far as I can remember, it was Ian Stewart was up first. And I could have told you from day one that this was not going anywhere. These people were liars. Mm. You know, they were, they had confessed to being, they were just thugs. They were thieves. They confessed to being drug addicts. But most horrifically was that Robert Stewart admitted that he was abusing and having sex with young girls as young as 13. Um, and that was some of the charges that were taken into consideration. Basically, the guy was a pedophile. Did um, he admit this in court and, and a charge or under cross-examination? He was charged with it. So what happens was mm. they give up all the information that they were expected to give up, but they also had to give information up themselves. He then confessed to this. This formed part of the charges that were taken into consideration. Um, they should have got, there were 13 people that they were given evidence against, including some very senior members of the, the UVF, um, so one of the, the charges, the charges he was getting con taken into consideration were abusing young girls. That's important for a number of reasons. I'll tell you why in a minute. So 
the case collapsed. It was going nowhere. One person was convicted. That was because there was other corroborating evidence against them. They probably could have been convicted anyway without the Stewart brothers. These guys should have been serving over 20 years in prison, I think. In the end, they served something like three and a half years in prison in isolation, and they have now disappeared into the witness protection scheme. Justice Gillen, at the end of the trial, when he found these people not guilty on, on, on the back of their evidence, said they were of extremely bad character. They had lied to the police and to the court about their true motivation in becoming assistant offenders, but also on their accounts of the crimes. And, you know, the most chilling thing, I suppose, is the day when we have very experienced, very senior counsel challenging them, mm-hmm. and every one of these counsel was challenging them. And their evidence was just not stacking up. It wasn't It wasn't stacking up in any way. You could see that they were lying. And were the they lying to protect it, themselves or were they lying? Assistant offenders always lie to protect themselves. So mm-hmm. what they'll do is they will minimise their role in certain mm-hmm. crimes and then they will emphasise the roles of other people. But also they will say if they like someone, well, they'll not emphasise their role no matter what they're in for. But say someone that crossed someone that had a fallout with them, well, they'll be the person they heap everything on yes, to. Yeah. There's always a motivation there, you know. There's a secondary motivation. Their evidence was very easily picked apart. The day when he was challenged about being basically a paedophile and abusing young girls, you know, he, he, he sort of waved a hand at the other ones in the dock and, and said something like, you know, on the lines of, well, they were, they were all doing it. They should have raw at it. I mean, it was just horrific. Mm. Somewhere in England, we assume, they can only ever go to sort of Commonwealth countries that will take them anyway. And that, that want and these English people, speaking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they want these people in their, their country. Lives Robert Nian's church. Mm. Can you imagine you could be living beside these people? Imagine like some unsuspecting woman could fall into a relationship with mm. these people. You know, neighbours could trust them, you know, around their children. I mean, all of that, it just, it highlighted just how I think that those lines between the, the morality of using assistant offenders in these cases, it just blurs. One of the, the people who had been charged later tried to challenge the, the fact that they were still being allowed to have a reduced sentence and go into witness protection, despite the fact that it was said a trial that they they, they lied. Um, one of the people, who was Jason Lachlan, who had been charged in connection with it and was not then obviously convicted. He was represented by David Schofield, who is now a high court judge. Um, and he said, we have the Stuart brothers being convicted of the most serious offences. Their prison terms are massively reduced by an exceptional amount. And there's very limited benefit to the public as a result of the assistance they provided to the prosecution. It came at a massive cost. And that is the, fa- the thing mm. too, you know, what does this cost in terms, and what does it do to public confidence in the justice system? Well, I suppose we should point out that the cost is in the run-up to the trial and the giving of the evidence. It's protecting the witness. Witness yeah. protection is to protect the witness when they give their evidence. And after that, they're signed off the witness protection programme, at which point the duty of care of the state is to set them up, basically give them a liaison officer in their new country. If they were on the, the social welfare here, they go on the social welfare wherever they're moved to. They, they kind of swap like for like. So if you have a million euro pound house, the state will help you sell that and help you buy a new one in, in your new community or whatever. So the, the actual cost is supposed to end as soon as they give that evidence. But the reality of the situation is it doesn't because no, it doesn't. I don't know about the North, but certainly in the Republic, because we don't have any legislation properly governing it, certainly some witnesses have been given cash amounts. But it, they estimate that most are given the equivalent of £50,000 a year wage. They're also given, obviously, a home and a new identity. Some of them are given jobs, if that's what they want. Um, and some of them decide that they're not going to bother working for the rest of their life. And so they're given an income and that would be in excess of what they would have received 
I assume had they they stayed here and healthcare. I'm yeah. sure you know psychiatric help etc. And there's a duty of care then to protect them. So if they think that their cover is in any way being blown, that there's expense that they have to be uprooted and, and relocated. This happens very skeptically. You know, there's a lot of publicity around that case when Canova started, and therefore he had to be lifted and moved again, and given a similar lifestyle that he had been living. His lifestyle, obviously, he was the you know the jewel in the crown of British intelligence. So he was always going to get a better lifestyle than, say, someone like the Stewart brothers. But, mm. I mean, it doesn't matter where. I mean, what I always think of these things is these people are living next door to someone who has absolutely mm-hmm. no idea who they are. As part of that same UVF gang was Gary Haggerty. And he admitted he pleaded guilty to 202 offences, including five murders. Um, and as well as that, there's something like 500 other charges were kept on the books. Um, including loads of attempted murders and trying to set set people up. Um, Around about? Oh, God, he was in his... At uh, this stage, he probably would have been in his... When he first turned assistant offender, probably in his late 30s, early 40s. But he was a, a long-time police informer prior, even to go on to, to give an evidence. Um, and he was intended... The Stuart Brothers case was meant to go first. It was a test case. Prosecution had assumed these people will all be convicted. Then we'll go straight into Haggerty. And he had accused um, 11 other paramilitaries and two special branch officers were all to be charged and appear in court in relation to his evidence. But in 2017, the Public Prosecution Service, I remember it very well, they called all the crime and security journalists in and they said, Stuart Brothers' case didn't go as we expected. We can't proceed with these cases anymore. I know this is just to disappoint the victims, but without corroboration, these cases are never going to get a conviction. So that's the end of those. Um and Haggerty then fell fell under that. He had been given a 35-year jail term because of the seriousness of his offences. Um, but that was reduced to six and a half years because he became assistant offender. There was an appeal on that that was increased to 10 years. But at that stage, he had already gone and into the sort of witness protection scheme. He was gone anyway. He wasn't coming back again. So he didn't serve another day in prison. There's still one case that could be pending in relation to him. But I would doubt that he will ever ever sit in a dock and give evidence against anyone. And probably the case that maybe is yourself as a Sunday World journalist is Neil Hyde, who mm-hmm. was to give evidence against the killers of Martin O'Hagan, one of your colleagues in the Sunday World, who was murdered by the LVF. And that was a case, again, I sat in court that day. There had been a, These people had been charged in relation with the murder of Martin O'Hagan. Neil Hyde's solicitor stood up and said, I can no longer represent this man as a conflict of interest. And at which point we all looked at each other and went, he's turned supergrass because there was no other reason for doing that. So Hyde is, remains the only person that ever had been convicted of shooting Martin O'Hagan. He was shot dead outside his home in 2001. Um, and the prosecution service had said that he hadn't told the full truth in his dealings with the authorities and as part of his agreement to enter the assistant offenders programme. However, he was not returned to prison. So um, so he like he never had to actually give evidence no, against anyone? No, he would have been jailed for 18 years because he admitted, he admitted to providing... Um, to be an assistant in the murder of Martin O'Hagan, but he was to name the, the gunman. That was mm. to be his role, and that was why he was to get a reduced sentence. He never did that because the Stuart Brothers case collapsed, and once they collapsed, there was a domino effect, and there was collapse. Cases collapsed all over the place, and Hyde was one of them. So Hyde is now in witness protection. He For knows. doing nothing. Yeah, and he did nothing. <gasps> he did nothing to do nothing. There was not a single day that he sat in the dock and gave evidence against his former associates, and he remains... Ironically, the only person to ever be convicted with anything related to Martin O'Hagan's murder. Um, and he is someone who got a reduced sentence because the state agreed that he was going to be an assistant. When offender. you talk about that sort of gasp that goes around the journalists in court, I mean, you know, I don't know whether 
there's anybody up here that we've ever spoken to that hasn't been an informer. There's an awful lot of people there's informing every which way. But well, like still, you. when it sort of happens in front of you, your eyes and you go, oh, my God, that person has turned. Well, there, there was a sort of moment of, of hilarity in that case that day because one of the, the LVF ones, he was convicted. His partner had been arrested and released. She'd been questioned and she'd been released at something like six in the morning. So she'd been um, at the police station for 24 hours being questioned and then released. But she, she pulled up in this lame green sports car outside the court and got out with these thigh-high boots and, you know, she had the latch, she had the full LVF wag outfit, <laughs> she had the fake boobs, you know. She was she was dripping in Tiffany jewellery, you know, the her extensions down to her, down to her uh, waist and she sat below and kisses, as you know, had her partner. And when they brought him out, because I'd never seen this guy before, yeah. And I thought, well, my God, look at her. I mean, the court clerks and the security are nowhere near breaking their neck. And I thought she did a night in a barracks. Like, she's looking very well for it. And when he came out, I thought this, you know, huge, big, muscly gangster was coming out. This tiny, little, skinny, little man <laughs> was driving. And he's blowing kisses at her. And I thought, good God almighty, I don't know what that boy has, but it's definitely not his looks that are attracting. for every shoe, they say. Yeah, that's it. That. There's a peg for every hole. There definitely is. But, um... Look, you know, the Witness Protection Programme, I I wonder how it holds up in the modern world as well, because like it was set up at a time pre-social media, pre-internet, yeah. all the rest of it. Like, how do you do anything? I mean, if you meet somebody that doesn't have a fingerprint somewhere on the internet, it's just red flag <laughs> every <laughs> fucking indeed. where, isn't it? Like, seriously, it's yes. like, nope, nobody if cannot you can't exist. stalk them on social media, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how are you meant to know? <laughs> do you know? And this is the thing, yeah. as you said, the world was a massive place on social media. Mm. You could disappear to a corner of the world and you would be unlikely to ever meet anyone. Now, you know, the world is a tiny place. People travel quite cheaply. Um, they move around all over the place and social media obviously, especially if you were a high-profile criminal, there'd be pictures of you that will remain online forever unless you significantly change what you look like in your appearance. And even then, you know, if you meet someone, they're living beside you, maybe they do go out and they end up in a relationship or someone and they, they get a bit suspicious. You know, half a day's worth of research wouldn't be long turning up who they are, who you think they might be. Um, And so it must become more and more difficult. It has to be. For them to hide people. And especially then as well, I suppose, when you have... A family unit going into it. Yeah. There's a lot of people to keep the secret. There's a lot of people kind of mingling in different places and, you know, to keep up the story and none of whom have this, you know, fingerprint anywhere on the Internet. I mean, it, it like, seriously, it'd be the first thing I'd think of if a family moved in beside me and none of them existed anywhere on Google. I would just think they're witness well. protection. I mean, the first thing it shows in my mind probably goes the same way. You yeah. did, you know, I did a, a sort of a terrible story about a family and I couldn't trace who they were. There'd been a tragedy and nobody seemed to know them. And the first thing I thought was God, witness protection. Someone said to me, do you think they were in a cult? And I was, my mind didn't even go there. My mind just went witness protection straight away. My mind just went to the, the worst possible scenario. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you would be very suspicious, especially if someone appeared very nervous I mean, the, the Freddie Skeptici situation, we told he used two different first names, depending on who he was speaking to. He told people different different names. And he is probably, you know, the, the You'd sort of forget. And I mean, if you relaxed yeah. at all. And I mean, also, you think about the likes of facial recognition techniques being coming in yeah. in airports. 
the amount of people yeah, in administration. You know all about. Like your original details are there somewhere and your new details and stuff. But they, they do exist somewhere, your original details. And presumably there's files in various places about who you are. And like all that stuff is being hacked and leaked. And yeah. I mean, I just wonder is, does it stand up at all? Definitely it is one of the most important arms the state have in the fight against organised crime. And we go to the very top end of it. Let's bring ourselves out of Northern Ireland and out of the Republic for a while and go to Italy, where you have Raphael Imperiale sitting down at the moment telling the Italian police about all his crimes so as he can go super grass against some of the biggest criminals in the world. Daniel Kinahan, whoever else. Where do you hide someone like that when... The person they're giving evidence to is of a crime gang that has tentacles mm. everywhere. In the world. And they do have tentacles all around the world. So any place that has, let's face it, someone like that doesn't want to be sent, to, you know, to some deepest, darkest, you know, wherever. They want somewhere where there's nice hotels, nice restaurants. It's, they yeah, do, yeah, where they can, you know, people will speak the same language. That narrows, narrows and narrows down the it amount does. of locations that you can go to. And usually they're yeah. criminal cohorts have already found those places you know around the world places, of course they exactly have. because if it's safe enough for them to be there then it's safe enough for someone else who's hiding out for other reasons to be there um, and it only takes one person to spot you his pal imperiali's pal um tried to do a runner from dubai when he reckoned they were on their way for them and he was afraid to travel by flight to through into Turkey in case they had the facial recognition and realised yeah. he was using a fake passport. So instead they got people smugglers um, to bring him through Syria. And sure, he was kidnapped by a kind of a, an Al-Qaeda group that were had turned on Osama bin Laden's sons and gone out on their own. They kidnapped him. And I mean, they're the kind of territories these people are having to kind yeah. of maraud through in order to get to some sort of safety and security. But like, where would you put the likes of Imperiali after he gives evidence? Like, I mean, you need to put him in a, a bullet resistant cage. Yeah, and how can live? Who could live like that for the rest of their life? I mean, then you have to say, would I not be better just doing my time for God's sake, you know, and getting yeah. out of jail at some stage than basically spending your time what will be a prison for the rest of your life, albeit one an open prison, if you like, you know, but you're now still you could have get to... to a stage where we can get avatar masks and stuff like that. I'd love that. Can you imagine <laughs> you go out every day, press a button and have a different face. But like we could get to that stage. <laughs> well, it, it is. It's the point is the technology has increased to such a degree that it becomes more increasingly difficult to hide people. And, you know, I mean, there's times in the the, the airport now you don't even have to show your ID because you've been through the camera and the camera has recognised yeah. who you are. Exactly. And yeah. I will say, those facial recognition are clearly faulty because there was one morning I woke up and I was so hungover, my iPhone didn't know who I was and wouldn't let me into it. So clearly there's days. One morning. Mine is <laughs> mine is a typical bloke, my iPhone. It's like that every morning. I'm always giving out about it. It is such a... You have to get up and put a makeup on before your pee. phone knows who yeah. you are. Yeah, judgy. <laughs> I'm not that bad. No, that mine is always at that. But um, yeah, I mean. So yeah, it is very difficult. And I mean, the like of, of Dowdle, I think it showed in the South and people would not be happy that someone like him, we know what he was convicted of. You know, he basically waterboarded somebody, a tortured a man. He's clearly a person of extremely questionable character, prone to violence. And he has now wandered off or will wander off very soon um, and disappear. With his he, entire family. Now, Right, that, that has its, yeah. its sort of ups and downs as well. Like if you go into the witness protection program with your entire family and yourself and the wife fall out, 
Yeah, well, she could come back and she could tell everybody. She could. Or, like, imagine, like, being stuck in that situation with somebody that you wanted to separate from. Well, I mean, a lot of times, and, you know, I mean, in my job, I have had scorn partners come and say to me, you know, by the way, he told me X, Y, and Z, and that does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't imagine being the easiest boy to live with, your man, Dardle, like, no. so that could be a very real... But you seem to be very lovey-dovey, though, for the moment. And you do have, then, you do have someone like Cherry Hutch who again has tentacles and friends and allies and people who owe him favours all over the place you know so he will spend the rest of his life looking over his shoulder and we have to one day consider was it worth what he did it, what he did was what nothing because yeah. he wasn't believed because he was rubbish anyway he got himself off I suppose having to face a murder charge but um, right well look that was uh, you've had enough of them up here with Shady Pass gone into witness protection but we, we have and just, actually because I was right I suppose about the this. lesson today is the lesson today is be careful who you're living beside God careful who lives is. next door to you yeah. that's that's the thing now, I know I live next door to wee Sheila and she's harmless <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> Sheila just wants Sheila just wants to be not her but I mean some people if you don't know who your neighbours are I would check it out yeah no definitely the biggest red flag is that they, ha- they aren't on the internet end of yeah. lessons learned okay thanks a million You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.